All right, let's turn our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter number 10, please. Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10 this morning. I desire your prayers this morning as we go through these verses of Scripture. Uh, as I've mentioned already, been in missions conference uh, some this week, and the uh, Lord just began to work in my heart about some particular scriptures, and uh, this scripture has come to my mind and been on my mind, and uh, I don't apologize this morning for the familiarity of these scriptures. Uh, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable, and so we're uh, going to look at these verses of scriptures this morning and uh, refresh ourselves on some things that I believe would be good for us. And I believe the Lord already had, knows what, what we stand in need of, no doubt, but uh, just looking at the circumstances of this morning and the fact that we've got some that's sick and low in number, uh, I believe this would be a good time to, to go through these verses of Scripture uh, and refresh ourselves on some things that I think can help the body of Christ, at least the, the local assembly here, uh, as we endeavor to fulfill the Great Commission. All right, so Luke chapter number 10, let's start in, uh, I'm going to start in verse 25 and uh, read down to, um, well, we'll read to the Lord stops us. Okay, how's that? Stand with us, if you will, for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. Luke chapter number 10. The Bible says, starting in verse number 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him, and on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou Likewise, you can be seated. Heavenly Father, help us this morning. We do pray and ask, refresh us, Lord, remind us. We do pray, Lord, I pray that you would burden our hearts and remind us once again 
of this lost and dying world that we dwell in and live in and the need for souls to be saved before it's everlasting too late. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now let me say this, we're starting out with the question of who is my neighbor. But if you'll notice, it's not that Jesus answered unto him, who is your neighbor, as much as it was, are you being the neighbor? Now we understand here that the one that the Samaritan, the one that went and took care of uh, this one that fell among thieves was neighborly, if you will. He's wanting to know who is his neighbor, who should I go to? But as, it, as, as an end result, we're finding out that Jesus is saying that the neighbor was the one that cared for the, the one that fell among thieves. And so we can deduce from this portion of scripture that this lost and dying world is our neighbor. But are we being neighborly, so to speak? All right. And I don't want to preach on uh, a neighbors or being your neighbor or none, anything like that, but I wanted to call that out before we get started in these verses of scripture. But I'm interested in verse 30 when the Bible said, Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't have the name of this man. This man is just a certain man. We can go out into the lost and dying world that we live in and come upon many men, women, boys, and girls, right? The Bible said, and went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I want to call your attention to this portion of Scripture where the Bible says leaving him half dead. You'll be reminded that Paul, when he was called up into the third heavens, he was not sure if he was there in body or if he was there. He wasn't sure if he was dreaming, if he was there in spirit. He wasn't sure what was going on with him. He just knew what he's seen. And we understand here that Paul was beaten to the point that he was nearly uh, dead, left for dead. They'd stoned him, walked away from him, left him there. And what I'm interested in this, this portion of scripture is this statement, leaving him half dead. This individual that fell among thieves that, was, uh, that had went down from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho was unconscious. He wasn't aware. They had grabbed him robbed him, beat him, throwed him in a ditch on the side of the road and left him for dead, unconscious, unaware, did not have all of his mental faculties about him when these three individuals, the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan uh, had come upon him. This man was in a, in, a, in a different mindset because of the trouble that it befell him. Now, it's understandable by reading this passage of Scripture that the, the priest... And the Levite and the Samaritan had their cognitive thought. They were aware of the situation. Now they were looking at it from a third party standpoint. Now they, weren't, they weren't looking at it through the eyes of the, the robbers. Now they weren't looking at it through the eyes of the one that was in the ditch. But through their point of view, they still had cognitive thought. They had their faculties. They understood and could relate to what had transpired. Now you'll find that... Uh, the Levite and the priest and the Samaritan, all three, were able to see the situation for what it was. And I, I, I like this, this comment that was made. Uh, Brother Bryant brought this particular comment out. I heard him say this, that these three men had equal opportunity. The Samaritan, the Levite, and the priest 
had equal opportunity. And I thought, man, how, how true that is. I've read these portions of scripture before and, I, and really thought of it, but never really considered it in that light. Each one of them had the same opportunity to extend mercy and help, if you will, to this one that was beaten and robbed and thrown in a ditch that was unconscious of what had befell him. And you do realize this morning that we are, we are, we have our cognitive thought. We do see things for what it is. You and I do have a King James Bible. We do have the Spirit of God. We do realize what's wrong with the world today. We do understand the outcome of those that, uh, if you will, that have uh, taken their trip or their journey who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. You do realize it is the purpose of Satan to steal and to kill and to destroy. The Bible said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus come for? He said, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So you automatically know from the start of this message uh, the intent that Satan has on a lost and dying world. He, he is trying to build, see, you understand the devil was always trying to build a kingdom. The devil, Satan was always trying to rise above God and, and have his own following. And today, he's trying to take as many as he can to hell with him. He understands his demise. He understands his end. But it's his intention to take as many uh, from the fellowship of God as humanly possible. He's going to take as many people to hell with him as he can. He knows that there's no hope for him. He knows there's no chance that he will escape the charred walls of the dam. So it's his intention to uh, steal the minds of people and to take people with him to hell. And so the Bible says here that this man was left half dead, unconscious. Now you understand we do live in a world today that is unconscious to their spiritual well-being. They really are. They are, they are so far removed from the reality of a devil's hell so far removed from what society, uh, I mean, society is telling them they're all right and they're okay and they can have this and they can have that. But at the end of it all, we understand they're deceived. They don't understand, they don't see it like we see it. We are not unconscious to the fact that people are dying and going to hell and going to continue to die and go to hell in their sin if they're not saved by the marvelous grace of God. And so what's interesting here is we find with this man that's unconscious, yet we find three individuals that are conscious. And so the Bible says here in verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, interestingly enough, verse 31 says that this priest happened upon this man that had been stripped of his raiment and wounded and robbed by chance. The priest got up that morning, went upon his day, doing whatever it was he had to do, fulfilling the duties of his day with no intention or understanding that he was going to run into this individual that had been robbed and beaten and stripped of his raiment. Right? But by chance, he happened upon this individual. You and I every day wake up, put on our shoes, go out the door into this lost and dying world, 
And by chance, we run into people that we did not know we were going to run into dealing with problems and situations in their lives that they are unconscious to, that they do not realize that they have these problems. And I fear that we do what the priest does most of the time. Now, let me, let me look, and I, well, I'm going to look at a high priest here for just a minute. We're going to consider priest in general. But Hebrews 5 and 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now listen to this. Verse 2 of Hebrews 5 says, Who can have compassion on the ignorant? What a question. Who can have compassion on the ignorant? This man was ignorant of the fact that he was going to travel down this road this day, fall among thieves, be beaten, robbed, and stripped of his raiment. There is a crowd of people today, a world of people that have got up, they've put their shoes on, they've went out into the world they live in, and they are ignorant to the fact that the devil lays in wait, praying, P-R-E-Y, upon them to jump on them, if you will, to rob them, to beat them, to steal from them everything that they thought they had. And here's the thing, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Now infirmity means this. Defect, defective, defect, imperfection, weakness. Compassed simply means surrounded or enclosed. So who can have compassion on the ignorant except you first have been compassed with infirmity? How can you sympathize or look at somebody that's in this shape and unless you've been in this shape and see yourself having been in that shape uh, and, and to, to have people just don't have compassion on other people unless they can look at their situation and relate to it. What we're finding here is the, the, the priest had to not only offer sacrifice for the sins of God's people, but he first had to offer sacrifice for his own sin. So here's what I want you to see. The Bible says, verse 3, And by reason hereof he ought is for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. So the priest ought to be able to relate uh, to the sins of God's people, as he, uh, the great high priest, as he offers sacrifice, because he first understands that he himself was a sinner, that needed the sacrifice for himself as well. So here's what's interesting. This priest that's by chance who, and we understand the Bible doesn't call him a high priest, but a priest in general were responsible for the temple and its sacrifices. They were religious and social leaders who had specific rituals that they had and guidelines that they had to follow. And so here's what I'm wanting you to see. This priest who deals with the things of God day in and day out, who understands the importance of the sacrifice that has to be made, who understands the responsibilities and the order for what is to go on inside the, the temple, happens upon this individual by chance 
And the Bible says there came down a certain priest that way and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now we preached uh, out of Jonah chapter number four, I believe it was last Sunday night and we were emphasizing how there was a people that Jonah did not want to share the message that God told him to share because he knew that God was a merciful God and he knew that God had the attributes of such that if, if Nineveh would repent, that God would allow them a stay. He would repent of the judgment that he was going to pass upon them. And so I just find it interesting that we have a priest here, one that understands the inner workings of the house of God, understands what it is for us to sacrifice, what that sacrifice actually does, yet sees an individual that is in trouble, who has been robbed, who has been beaten, who has been laid in a ditch, if you will, stripped of his clothes, yet has absolutely no compassion whatsoever. The Bible says here, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, this man had an opportunity. This priest had an opportunity to physically act upon something that he sees spiritually every day. And here's what we're getting back to, and I've mentioned this two or three different times, but it is, it's, it's such a problem in churches today that people have separated their spiritual life from their reality. They have, they're, they, they're spiritually minded on Sunday, and then they're, they're worldly minded the rest of the week. You know, Sunday morning they put on their clothes and when they robe themselves in their church attire, they're also robing themselves mentally for the day ahead. We'll be, we'll be uh, uh, biblically minded today because it's Sunday. We'll think upon scriptural things because it's Sunday. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we're going to go out into the world amongst lost and dying people who are unconscious of the fact that they're headed to hell, and we don't even give it a second thought. Now, I want to say this. This man's seen this fellow in his condition. And it's unfortunate today that you and I sometimes actually cognitively see people in the condition that they're in yet for some reason bypass and go to the other side of the road, if you will, and say, well, Lord, send somebody to take care of that fella. I'm going on about my business. How many times have you as a Christian who cognitively sees people in a situation that they did not ask for? Now, I do want you to understand this. I've brought this up. You did not ask to be born. You did not ask to have your being, to live and to move and have your being in a world that is cursed and among people that live in flesh, that, that are against God and anti-God. And you by nature, friend, uh, don't have the ability to please God when you're born of a woman. This individual happened to run into trouble. There's people everywhere that's run into trouble. And we, people that are familiar with the inner workings of the house of God, are familiar with the outcome of people that are unconscious of their sin. We'll walk across the other, go to the other side of the road having seen them and pass them by. 
Now this man by chance got up that morning, went down the same road that this fellow did. Listen, we're traveling parallel to a lot of people today that's moving the same direction we are that's in a lot of trouble. This priest seen this man in his situation. The Bible said, and likewise, a Levite. Same situation. Now here's what's interesting. The priest, if you will, He was known as a priest. You could see him and tell that he had a position. He could walk down the road. You could see him and know that here comes a priest. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of decoration. Now a lot of us are decorated like Christians. But the inner workings of our our inner man do not always come up to par with our decoration. All right? So this high priest, if you will, he's called out. He's put in a position, or this priest, if he's called out, he's put in a position. He's a, he's a man of position. He's decorated in his position. Now we've got a Levite. Now, if you'll go with me to Exodus 32, I want to I read to you something that you already know most likely, but I want to refresh our minds for just a moment. Exodus chapter number 32 and verse number 26. Now, we understand that Moses in this chapter has been on the mountain with God, getting the, uh, the commands of God to go on the tab- tablets of stone. And uh, we understand that Aaron has caused or told the people to break off their golden earrings and such, and he's molded this um, calf, if you will, this golden calf. And uh, the Bible says in verse number, let's go to 20. Um, Five. The Bible said, when Moses saw the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. The Bible says here, and he said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his, uh, his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Now what's interesting is, is you're going to find that the Lord takes the Levites and uses them for a specific purpose. All right? If you'll remember, the ark of God could not be carried by anyone but a Levite. Now, why, why is this? Why has God taken these Levites and using them in a position that those of the other tribes were not allowed to do? Why is that? Well, I believe we have to understand here. Uh, I believe, let's look at Numbers 3, verse number 5. Numbers 3 and verse number 5 for just a minute. Get back over here to where I need to be. Numbers 3. Verse number five says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Let's look at some things that the Levites were to do. It said, Bring the tribe of Levi. This is Numbers 3 and verse 6. Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto him. And they shall keep his charge. Listen here now. And the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. 
And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the children of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. Now shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons. They are, listen to this part. And are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. Thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons and they shall wait on their priest's office and, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Now here's what's interesting about this. All Levites were not priests. But all priests were Levites. What's going on here? Now we have emphasized a great deal as of late about separation. We don't back up from that. The Bible teaches that. We are, we are, we are peculiar people. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right? Or a holy nation. And we're peculiar people. We're set apart. We are, and we've made the remark on more than one occasion as well that we're not to be separated from but separated to. Now, there are things that we have to separate from, but it's for the purpose of being separated unto. Now, you're going to find that the Levites here were the tribe that did not fall down and worship this golden calf. This golden calf that we find in Exodus 32 that was made, the Levites did not stoop to the level of the rest of the children of Israel. And so the Lord, because of their separation... And their willingness to stand out among the crowd that was doing everything that they thought they wanted to do. They were separated unto God. They stood on God's side. And God used them specifically for a special purpose in his work. Now I want to say this. We get separated. God will use us for his glory and for his honor for a specific purpose. We're not just separating from, but we're separating from that we may be separated unto. And so the Levites, God used them in a very special way. Why? They were separated. They were willing to stand out. They were willing to not care what others thought about them even in their own ranks. All right? And so we've talked about unity and we're dealing with this on Wednesday nights in Romans chapter number 14 about doubtful disputations and I'm not going to deal with all that right now but we're talking and looking right now about separation, what it is to separate, what it is to unify, and all those things. But there's no doubt that because these people of the tribe of Levi was separated for the glory and for the honor of God, that God used them in a special way. Now that's a principle you can take to you in your life that if you are purposing in your heart to separate from something for the glory and for the honor of God, God will use you in his service for something that others he can't use. He just can't use. But here's what's interesting. This is a Levite that has come upon this individual that's been robbed and beaten and stripped of his raiment. We see the Levites and we automatically see that of separation. So this priest is decorated and he walks on by. This Levite is separated, yet he walks on by. Now listen to me. God will take you in your separation and use you for his glory and honor. But just because you separate from things doesn't mean that you're giving God all the glory and honor that he deserves. By separating from something to be separated unto, 
The Lord has, has got you lined up to where he can use you in a way that he cannot use others, but that doesn't mean that he is using you the way that he wants to. See, this man shows us a picture of what it is to be of the tribe that was separated, yet still walked by the man that needed his help. What good's it going to do you this morning to separate from all kinds of things if you're not willing to get down there and grab the man that's in the ditch and pull him up and help him? Now, the Bible says this. Likewise, a Levite, verse 32, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. He studied on the situation. He looked, he considered, he pondered, yet still made the decision to go on. I wonder how many times you and I get to that place where we actually pause. We get intrigued enough to stop, to consider, to think, to, to, to look. And we've spent all this time, you know, trying to separate and trying to be different from the world and Peculiar people, yet we do exactly what the world would do. Walk right on by and let them go. Now here's the problem. That person that's in the ditch is unconscious. But this Levite wasn't. This Levite will be accountable unto God for seeing this person in this situation and having no compassion. Now the Bible says, likewise the Levite when he was at the place came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Go with me to John 4 real quick. John chapter number 4. Let's look at something here in verse number 9. The Bible said, Then saith the woman of Samaria. You find here that this woman was from the same area that this individual was that was traveling down this road that day that came upon this man that had been beaten and had been robbed and had been stripped of his raiment. The Bible says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Listen here now. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Here's what's interesting. This Samaritan walking down the road, traveling down a road that a Levite and a priest had been traveling down, chose not to take the man that had been robbed and beaten and stripped of his raiment and help him, but this Samaritan comes along. Now, if you want to consider with me, if you will, there, there was no stereotype in the mindset of this Man, this one from Samaria, this Samaritan. Now we stereotype things real bad in churches across this land. Sometimes we see, you know, if you're a working class kind of guy and you, you know, kind of work with your hands, you're, it's easy to link up with somebody that's a working class kind of guy that works with your hands. But there might be somebody that comes in off the street and sits down here that don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't, don't, don't act like you. And instantly, a red flag goes up that they're not like us. Well, guess what? Jesus died for every man, woman, boy, and girl. 
And we have a bad habit today of seeing people that don't look like us or walk like us or talk like us and for some reason their unconscious state doesn't bother us as much as it does as if, if we were looking at somebody that's like us that was in an unconscious state. But the stereotype begins to go away. And that's what's amazing because Jesus died for whosoever will. He broke down the middle wall of partition. It wasn't just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but everybody, Jew and Gentile, had the opportunity to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him. Now the others had looked at him and considered. There wasn't any considering that had to be done by this Samaritan. This Samaritan, the moment that the Samaritan saw the individual in the shape that he was in, instantly had compassion. Now you understand the Bible teaches that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what that means is, is what is on the inside will come out and become evident on the outside. And so here's what I want you to understand. What was going on on the inside of the Samaritan was uh, he was who he was before he ever come upon this one in the ditch. The priest had the opportunity to continue to do what it was he did religiously and the decoration that he might have wore, yet there was something lacking on the inside. The Levite considered, but it, you know, it really just wasn't worth getting in there and helping this situation in the shape that he was in because it was going to cost him some things and affect him negatively, but he was separated Your decoration and your separation doesn't do anything, friend, if you are not going to facilitate. Now, look here. We've got one that that he's, he's decorated, he's separated. This one has facilitated. You understand that? He is initiated, if you will. The unconscious one is laying there, uh, unable to help himself at the mercy of someone that passes by that sees him you're going to find that it is this individual, the Samaritan, that has to make the first move. Unfortunately, we fail to initiate and facilitate what is needed to help the one that is unconscious of their situation. All right? And so the Samaritan here, the Bible says, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Now here's what I want you to see. When did the Lord become moved with compassion? When he saw the multitudes. You and I, unfortunately, are not seeing this world like Jesus did. 
Jesus didn't just see one in a ditch down here or happen along a little later and find one in a ditch down there. Jesus was looking and considering the multitudes of people that needed him. And they were lost as a sheep having no shepherd. And because of the fact that they were as sheep that was without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion. Now, unfortunately, you and I sometimes, we have our one or two that we have on our heart that we are considering and that we are praying for. But even in the Baptist church with that loved one or that, that, that cousin or that aunt or somebody, that one you work with that's on your heart, we're still not seeing it on the scale that Christ was looking at it. A multitude of people that were as sheep having no shepherd. Then this is what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 37. After he's moved with compassion, he begins to speak, and he saith unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Here's what's interesting about a harvest. You know that when it gets harvest time, if you do not go get the fruit or the crop that has been planted out of the field at the time that it's supposed to come out of the field, it will not be useful to you after it goes past a certain point. You can take seed corn and plant it in the ground and up comes a stalk and uh, then eventually this stalk will have cobs of corn upon it and there is different stages in the growth of that cob. And when you get to a certain stage and check that corn, uh, it, you are aware that a certain, at a certain time that that corn's ready to be harvested. But if you fail to harvest that corn in the appropriate amount of time, that corn gets to such as you cannot eat it. You'll notice that, that by the end of summer, probably about right now, people's just about out of corn uh, in the fields. But if you'll notice the guy that's harvesting corn for his cattle, he'll probably wait till September or, or October before he puts a combine in the field. Why? Because animals don't eat the kind of corn we eat. That corn is dried out. That corn is useless to you and me. It's nothing but cow feed. Or to be grounded for, some other, for, for something else. But you're not going to go grab a roasting ear, stick it in a pot, boil it, and then eat it. So what are you saying? Jesus is calling these, these ones that are without a shepherd, these sheep without a shepherd. He's looking at them and says, the harvest is truly as plenty, but the laborers are few. There's a time slot on this thing. There's a harvest. And Jesus is saying the harvest is plenteous, but there's not enough workers to get out in the field. What good would it do me and Brother Shane if we got together and planted a thousand acres of corn and then by the time it got ready to harvest it, we just looked at each other and said, well, it's just me and you. You know what happens? We're not going to get all that corn harvested because we don't have enough laborers. Oh, there's plenty of corn. The Lord blessed us with a great yield, but we're not going to be able to get it all because we don't have enough laborers. Can I say to you, if we don't have enough laborers now, what are we waiting on? What is stopping us today? 
I, I'm, listen, there was a lady, a Christian lady in Afghanistan that said, we are going to serve God no matter what. And you look at what's going on in Afghanistan and then you look around you this morning and just see how many people sitting in the pews this morning. We can't get them to God's house and I'm not, I'm not going to try to run on that this morning and, and kill it. But what I'm saying is, is when you look around and you consider the church's mindset versus others in other countries, you know what's happening? Their reality isn't separated from their spirituality. Their spirituality is linked to their everyday life. We have got, in, in America, we have got to the point where Sunday is just something you do. Sunday is not something we do. What really and truly this ought to be is a time of refreshing because we have been busting it uh, for six days out in the week. And we need a place to come in here and gather up because you've already, we've already taught this last Sunday, you don't have what it takes to do what God wants you to do. So if you don't have the ability to do what God wants you to do, you're going to need refreshing. You're going to need an oasis, a place to come and charge back up. A lot of people are not at church to charge back up. Some people come to church to take a nap. And so it's, 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 it's frustrating. But the Bible says here, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenty, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So we're praying. We need people to help us. We need people to labor. But what's interesting is this Samaritan, as he journeyed in Luke chapter 10, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The Lord had compassion. The Bible says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Jude tells us in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Three men walked by one individual that was unconscious, but only one made a difference. Why? Moved with compassion. Because he was moved with compassion, the compassion that he had moved his body to do something that others were not doing. You can be religious. You can be decorated. You can be separated. But friend, if you have no compassion, your decoration and your separation will do nothing for that one that's unconscious. Actually, all it will do is be a testament to you at the judgment seat of Christ that you knew what you should do, yet you chose to do something different. How unfortunate that would be. Wouldn't it be awful to be decorated (laughs) To be separated, I mean militant. Militant, separated, militant. Yet to find that you never allowed God to work in your heart and have compassion on that one that was in a ditch who had been stripped, who had been beaten, and who had been robbed. The Bible says here, and went to him. I love that. Certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion on him. So he had compassion, then he went to him and bound up his wounds. He'd done something for the individual that the individual could not do for themselves. If we're waiting on an unconscious world to come to the realization that they're lost and on their way to the devil's hell, they're not going to. We are the mouthpiece that tells a lost and dying world 
that they're lost. And so the Bible says here, went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Now, we, I don't have time to preach on this this morning, but we know in the Bible that oil is a type and picture of the Holy Ghost of God. And wine, we know, is a type of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here in type the, the Holy Spirit of God and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in this picture. Sidney went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast. Now here's what's interesting. This Samaritan was traveling down this road and this and most likely had a donkey with him, had an animal with him. And when he got down here and he seen this individual was moved with compassion, he went to where he was, he cleaned his wounds, he doctored his wounds, and then he picked him up. He carried him to his beast and set him on his own beast. Now that beast, if you understand, was for the use of the Samaritan. The Samaritan didn't just have a beast with him, but just in case he happened to run upon somebody that had been beaten and wounded that day. He had a use for the beast. The beast was there to please him and to help him and to carry the load that he had. Yet whatever happens is, is this man being moved with compassion gives up the use of the beast for his own pleasure and takes this person and puts him on this beast. Do you see what that is? That's a picture of you taking the things that God has given you and using the things that God has given you to help others in their need. And so this beast here, the Bible says, and, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn. You know what, what happens at the inn? Food. There would be some clothing. A place to bed down. A place to get out of the elements of this world. What's a beautiful picture of the church, isn't it? it wouldn't it be good if you seen somebody that, that had been beaten and wounded and, and stripped of their raiment and unconscious of, their, of, of what's going on in their life and you took the things that God had blessed you with and used it to get them down to the house of God where they could escape the elements of this world. And the Bible says here, and on the morrow, no, back, let's back up, it said, brought him to an end and took care of him. So he stayed with the individual as long as he could and give of himself as long as he could. And when he couldn't stay with him any further, what happened? He paid for the man to be taken care of. It come out of his pocket. It come out of the blessings that God had given him. Now I thought about this as, as we were in missions conference. The Lord's trying to use us in every area of our, of that he's blessed us in to be a blessing to others whether it be your pocketbook, whether it be your physical hands, whatever it is, there should be nothing that we do not give to that of God. But we give as we have been given. Now, Brother Bryant said this this week. He was talking about a shovel. And he was talking about how you can't outgive God. He said, God's shovel is always bigger than yours. We, we, do, not, we do not give as we get. We give for the glory and honor of God and trust. He also said this, and I'm not trying to preach what Brother Bryant said, but this stuff just stuck out to me as he was preaching this meeting. He, he was talking about how God would give more through you than he'll ever give to you. And I find a lot of times we're just trying to hoard up and gain. But if we just say, all right, Lord, whatever I have is yours. 
And I'm willing to use my beast. I'm willing to use my pocket. I'm willing to use whatever you want me to use. He'll do more through you. Then he will, then he will give more through you than he will give to you. But he says here on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. So in other words, he's saying, listen, you take care of him, you take this money and if he happens to need more than what I've given you, I'll give you more. We ought to be willing to give as much as necessary to help somebody who's unconscious out of the ditch that they are in. Now here's what I like. The high priest was decorated, but he did no good. The Levite, a picture of being separated, yet he did no good. Then we see, and he was also calculated, might I add. He's seen the situation. He considered it for what it was, yet he went on. Then we see the Samaritan. He initiated, he facilitated, but more than that, he was devastated. He was moved with compassion. It devastated him to see one in this shape uh, and, and to help this one was all he could think about doing. But because the dec- one that was decorated did no good and the one that was separated did no good, and I'm not suggesting this morning that you forget separation and just do good. Being separated is a biblical doctrine. But I'm saying it doesn't stand alone. Being separated is nothing if you are not separated unto God for the glory and for the honor of God and willing to be moved with compassion. So we, got, we have one that was decorated, one that was separated, but then we see the one that through devastation he facilitated, he initiated. Then we find that the one who fell among thieves, who Satan intended to annihilate, now has been rehabilitated. So I want to say this, if you want to see someone rehabilitated, it'll take more than being decorated. It'll take more than being separated. It's going to take you and I being devastated. Then we are going to have to facilitate and initiate and trust God to give through us in a way that only he can give. Can I say simply, I'm afraid this morning we have lost our compassion for those that are unconscious and laying in a ditch this morning. Jesus didn't just see the individual, he seen the multitude. And my burden this morning is this, I'm not taking away from the individual that you love and you care for and you want to see God do something for. But more than that, we better get a bigger picture this morning And get out in this lost and dying world. See, you have your own little world and I have my own little world. And we sometimes only consider the ones in our personal life, in our personal little cluster, in our personal little group. And I understand today that we are to go to our our own Jerusalem. I understand that. But our own Jerusalem ain't our living room and ain't our our bedroom. And it's, it's in this area we live in. Where do you walk every day? This guy didn't say he was walking down the hallway and found one, fell out in a room. He said he was walking down the road and by chance he seen a man that had fell among thieves. And they robbed him and they stripped him. You and I, wherever we're walking at day by day is where you and I are ministering at. 
And you, whether you're down at Lowe's or down at Walmart or down on the job or wherever it is, you better get past your cousin and your aunt and your uncle. I I hate to say this. I hate to say this. You ought to love your cousin or your aunt or your uncle or whoever it is in your life that you want to see saved. But I want you to understand, Jesus died for more than just your aunt or your uncle. And, and, And I've seen aunts and uncles that never got it. But we better go on past that and for everyone that we see with our cognitive thought and consider that they're in a ditch, we better be moved with compassion. And it's going to cost you, it's going to take you reaching in your pocket and you spending your money that God give you. It's going to take you taking the things that God provided for you and using them for his glory and honor. Let me tell you about conviction real quick. There was a gentleman that was presenting his work this week and he had this to say. He said, wouldn't it be awful to get to the judgment seat of Christ and to find out that you spent more money on dog food for your puppy than you did for the cause of Christ? I about fell out of my pew. About to, I about fell out of my pew. Out of everything that had been preached in that meeting, that hit me right between the eyeballs. Not that I don't give to the work of God, not that I'm against giving to the work. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how we prioritize the spending of our money. I believe in all my heart, friend, we ought to ask God, God, how do you want me to spend the money that you've given me? And I'm not just using money, I'm talking about all areas of our life. But I thought about that. How much money would we put? Listen, we'll take an old dog that's, that's lived for 12 years and it's sick and run it to the vet and spend $4,000 trying to prolong it for two months. And there's people down the ditches of this life that have been beaten and robbed and have been stripped of their raiment and they're on their way to hell and they're unconscious and we won't give to the work of God. How sad. How sad. Listen, Satan, Satan has a plan. And he's taking people to hell. And he's taking them by the groves. And I love the fact that the Bible teaches us to be separated. And I believe in dressing and acting like a Christian. I do not back up from that. But I'm going to tell you, it takes more than that. And I'm not going to hobby horse on that all the time and forget that the Lord wants you and I to have compassion on a world that is dying and on their way to hell. So this morning, my message is this. What are you doing as an individual by chance, day by day? So you don't have to purpose necessarily to go do something as much as you do be willing to do whatever's necessary when it arrives at your front door. These people were just walking, living their everyday life. What do you run into in your everyday life where people who are unconscious could use the help of God through your hands and through your feet and through your mouth, yet you will cross the road, go on in your separation and in your decoration and leave them laying in the ditch. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, that's all right. You know what? Don't, don't worry about it this morning. I feel like the Lord would not have us to do that. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Ever head bowed and ever eye closed. No one looking around. If you need to do business with God this morning, I want you to do business with God. I want you to talk to the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do different in my life? I wonder, I wonder how many of you this morning could consider or think about one 
that you know you've seen in a ditch. But for whatever reason, you cross the road. You've crossed the street. You recognized it. You've seen it. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that just isn't paying attention to the ditches of life. Friend, I want, I want, you, to, I want you to do business with God. If you need to come, please come. Please come. How many would you say you've walked by in your life having seen needing the help of you, needing the help of God through your hands or through your feet? Friend, there's folk praying. If you need to pray this morning, you come. If you need to pray this morning, you come. Just going to have a moment of silence for a few minutes. If you need to come, I, I beg you. I beg you to do business with God. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We don't have enough people laboring now. We can't afford to be crossing the street. Please come. Please come.